Welcome to the Organic Wine Podcast. I'm Adam Huss, coming to you from Los Angeles, California. Thanks so much for listening. My guest for this episode is me. Actually, I get interviewed by Kiara Shannon, a.k.a. the Yogi Sommelier, for this episode. Kiara is a friend who I met because of this podcast, and that's another reason I'm grateful for this podcast. But Kiara is also an accomplished sommelier and wine consultant who brings attention and awareness to ecologically focused wine through many events and projects that she's developing and coordinating and imagining and promoting and making happen all over. Uh, She also helps wine consumers connect to wine thoughtfully by guiding mindful wine tastings and by promoting producers like me who share her values of compassion and deep connection to the earth. I highly recommend checking out what Kiara is doing with wine at the Yogi Sommelier on Instagram or her website, theyogisommelier.com. Thank you so much for doing this, Kiara. Some of the things that we talk about include how viticulture is actually a form of agroforestry, how my urban polyculture wine garden known as Crenshaw Crew embodies a vision for the future of wine, how embracing local indigenous fruit can grow a diverse, resilient, and colorful wine culture, how human culture is part of our vineyard, all of our vineyards, and how all of this results from the revolutionary ecological approach to wine that makes our current wine culture seem completely backwards. It seems kind of silly for me to introduce myself, especially since I do that in the interview, so I won't. Rather than an introduction then, let me say thanks to the earth. Thank you, Earth, for producing vines and trees and flowers and plants and fungi and microbes and humans that give us wine. I hope all of you listening get to experience and appreciate its magic. Enjoy. Now, boom, and we're in. Thanks for doing this, Kiara. My pleasure, Adam. Um, <laughs> I, as, as you know, I'm a huge fan of the Organic Wine Podcast, and I've listened to Me almost too. all the episodes. <laughs> So I am stoked to be here. (laughs) Um, Thank you. No, I really appreciate you doing this. And, you know, I should just do a full confession here that this is the second time we're doing this because I was so embarrassed by my performance the first time. And so maybe the caveat that will make me feel comfortable is, you know, anything said here um is is relevant only for this moment in time and i reserve the right to change my mind i feel like that is something that is lost in our current culture that the right to change your mind you know what i mean to be to realize that you were wrong like the next day and be like yeah i was wrong like of course uh, yeah you're right i i've changed my mind i was wrong yeah Um, being able to admit yeah i being able to admit (laughs) your mistakes and acknowledge yeah um, what and and learn from them and also you know, be able to change your mind is a sign of high emotional intelligence. So, yeah. And it's like, I I mean, I feel like it's very young to, to, to think that you won't change or that you are the same person that you were and that you'll always be the same person. You know, it's very, I mean, I, I don't know, like I grew up as an evangelical Christian, I was preaching at the age of 16. And, you know, 10 days later, I mean, 10 days later, 10 years later, I was like an atheist, (laughs) uh, you know, growing mushrooms in Amsterdam. And, and it's like, you know, if you go through those kind of changes in your life, you realize, you know, I, I could look, I remember looking back and being like, I don't even know who I was five years ago. Like, I can't even remember what my thoughts were because I, I had changed so drastically. And it's, you get to that point, you know, and I think, I, I mean, one of the great life lessons that I learned from that among many, many others was just that, like, you know, hold, hold things a little more loosely, you know, like, don't, 
don't be so certain. Don't be so sure of yourself. You know, you will change. And, and, and so that process continues until the day you die, basically. Correct. And as is taught, you know, in the wise teachings of the Buddha, you know, attachment is the root of all suffering. Yeah. And in one very visceral way is when we attach ourselves to having to be a certain way or um, resisting change that is natural. And uh, so, yeah, I, I, I embrace it. And I'm, I'm glad that we're here to give it a do-over. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> thank you for your patience. <laughs> so, Adam, um, you know, I know there's probably listeners that are tuning in who have heard you many times before, but perhaps there's people that are tuning in for the first time. And so it might be good just for you to do a little introduction for all that are listening. Yeah, I'm Adam Huss. I live in South Los Angeles, uh, formerly known as South Central, and I am the host and creator producer of the Organic Wine Podcast, which I really do love and not in any self-serving way, just because <laughs> it's meant so much to my life and allowed me to grow and change in the ways that you know I want to continue doing. And um, I make wine uh, with, I, I mean, I, I'm the, the winemaker and co-owner with my wife and partner, Wendy, of Centralis Wines, which we, you know, are based here in Los Angeles. Um, and we are trying to do a bunch of cool stuff with it that highlights basically um, what I, what our our values are like uh i i don't know i can i can dig into that do you want me to just jump right in no we can about... yeah we will get into yeah. that I, I just wanted to ask um another question kind of before we get into that yeah it's really kind of about you know when you so i'm curious what inspired you to even start doing the podcast in the first place and reflecting back on our kind of initial conversations about change like how has it changed or, or has has it yeah. changed and have oh, you changed and like what are, are some of the you know where are you right now in in the evolution yeah i i mean i think it was like i i, I knew I, I had a sense that i could wrap you know i, I have like a, i had a lot of technical um av it experience in my life and career prior to that and and saw real you know it was a it was an easy step in that direction in terms of just the logistics of it and there's some there's an immediacy to it like i'm a writer as well but writing is this very disconnected thing especially if you've ever written in hollywood you're you write like a bunch of scripts that nobody ever reads or you know a couple people read and then it never becomes anything and there's something really immediate about podcasting that i think is wonderful and i also just want an excuse to invite people to talk to me and to to, to find a community of like-minded people by just you know highlighting what they're doing you know by like giving people free promotion as as an excuse to get to talk to them and pick their brain and learn from them and and you know it has been that like all that i didn't even realize how amazing that would be like how much it would sort of change me and show me things that i strengths that i had and things i love to do and you know opportunities that to you know to meet people and to 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 highlight things that i think i value deeply I just didn't even foresee like, you know, some of those really great things I had. I guess I just had a, a gut idea that it would be a good way to go. And and I had a friend who was like, he, he just did a search on, you know, Apple podcast for organic wine podcast. And he was like, no results, dude, find, you know, there's an opportunity there. And I was like, mm -hmm. all right. I mean, he, he kind of just kicked me in, in that direction. He's one of my old, old friends who knows, you know, knows me probably better than I know myself in that sense. Um, and 
Yeah, I think the way that it has changed is <laughs> um, just the name is now very misleading, but I still <laughs> think it works. <laughs> um, the, the name is, is, and I think it works because it worked for where I was at the moment that I started it, which was this gateway, this threshold moment of where you're, you're getting into wine and you care enough to think about the fact that your grapes were grown organically or or that there is some importance to that term organic in relation to wine and so if you're searching on podcasts and you do that search just you know it still attracts i think the right people who are are you know i mean it still gets that the right search results for those pe people who are at that threshold um of course it is just a threshold and i, I think the podcast has become everything that is once you cross that threshold <laughs> and and it's probably more accurate to call it like the ecological wine podcast i think is probably the easiest way to put it or or the ecological soil podcast maybe or <laughs> you know the the future of wine and all things maybe i don't know <laughs> yeah well that's that's kind of i agree with you i think it's i, I feel i i relate to that also because as you know my my sort of handle in social media land on Instagram is the Yogi Sommelier. And when I started that, it really was simply because I was certified as a sommelier working in the wine business and also a longtime yoga practitioner and just completed my 500 hour certification. And so that was really what a lot of the content was about at the time. But now, like you, um, what I'm interested in and what um, I like to talk about and share with people is so much more than that. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of how you and I connected really was sort of through, you know, through media land. <laughs> yeah, right. And yeah, so this podcast think, brought us together in a way. You found me because of my name, the Yogi Sommelier. And, and so I think it works. And yeah. I think it's a great way to attract people because I do think that if, um, you know, if, if it was called like the Ecological Soil Future podcast, you probably wouldn't get as many people as me. Um, and and it's, you have to bring people in and it's welcoming. So I have, I have the same experience with the Yogi Sommelier. Um, it draws people in who are interested in these things who may not um, otherwise pay attention if if it was more obscure. So um, so don't get rid of it just yet. Yeah, no, I'm I'm holding on to it, and I've, if anything, I'll probably have to just create another whole podcast. Um, this will become its own little thing. Yeah. So, um, in terms of where you are today now, so I I think as I understand it, you know, you started doing the podcast so you could connect with people and also learn and share information about like organic farming and natural winemaking or organic winemaking. Um, but now it seems like you're in a much different place um have you shifted your attitudes about farming and winemaking in the process well i mean the core is still there but yeah i mean so the core the, the core at the time was like I, I cared deeply about the environment and i cared deeply about our world more than i cared about wine even you know i mean i came to that realization mm -hmm. which is when i started centralis which was like i wanted to start a winery that wasn't about wine that didn't center wine that centered the world that wine grew out of and you know in my in in my understanding at that time you know that meant like really caring about organic farming and and removing 
these you know chemical pesticides and you know herbicides and and chemical fertilizers from our world that are polluting our water and our air and our soil and make you know having all kinds of downstream effects on human health and well-being and as well as all life health and well-being not just us humans and so in that sense that really hasn't changed but i think the you know when we call centralis uh, an ecological winery I think where I'm at with it now is it completely flipping that on its head because it's sort of like organic is you, you take conventional and you try to make it better and ecological is you start on the complete other end of the spectrum with a natural ecosystem with with the world unpolluted by human uh you know or, or untainted by human attempts at agriculture and you try to listen to it and become a student of it and learn from it and then use your your skills as a human, like our special gifts, our special human gifts to enhance those systems to provide greater and greater abundance without, within that system, within the context of that system coming from that idea of, of, of using its example and using the things that it's strong in. And if you think about conventional farming is this fragile, unsustainable, high input, you know, pollutive system and a natural mm -hmm. system is the exact opposite it's extremely resilient you know it it is long lasting it's it you know basically an eternal system a continual cycle um that doesn't produce any waste and requires very little input or no input no it's this closed loop and so starting from that end seems like the smart way because there's so many more benefits and then all the only thing that it doesn't really have are these you know abundant yields of things that humans can consume or drink. Um, I mean, I guess that's a form of consuming. And so that I think <laughs> is where, where I am, where I've flipped my understanding now, you know, is, is that way. I think that's what ecological, that's why it's ecological. It's uh, like coming from that direction entirely. And I, and I, you know, it's, it's going back to Buddhism, you know, it is that thing where it's like the human ego. I, I'm even at that point with the winemaking where I, you know, I'm making wine, from a vineyard now that's like over a hundred years old and has, there's been like these generations of, of a process that I'm now very fortunate to participate in. And like the first time I get grapes from there, I was like, okay, how do we, how do I, you know, can I come out and test the grapes? Like, how do I determine when to pick and da da da? And they're like, oh, you don't determine that. Like we tell you when it's your time to get your grapes. And I was like, what? I was like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Um, uh, I'm a control freak. I'm a winemaker. It's like, there's, there's, you understand that that's what winemaker means, right? Um, and, so true. And, so true. And, and then, yeah, they're like, yeah, no. I was like, okay, um, so I'll, I'll try it out. And now like my thinking about that is completely flipped on its head as well where i'm just like i'm so excited to not to like have that taken out of my hands where i'm you know my winemaking is reactive rather than ego driven it's like let's see what the let's see what this vintage brings let's see what the grapes bring let's see what this process like how do i jump into this process and enhance it um you know like just just by wherever it is like and and i'm just fortunate to be part of this thing that is so you know so much older than I am and will last so much longer than my short life here on earth. And, and so I think that's a really exciting change that's happened, I think as well, just to, in the, even in the technical winemaking, that, that kind of idea. Um, so that's, I love, I yeah, I, I love that. And I think I've heard you say this before, perhaps on the podcast or in person, which is 
shifting from sort of thinking that you're the winemaker in charge and calling the shots to where now you're the student receiving the wisdom from the plants <laughs> yeah 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 like yeah my i i definitely feel like my viticulture has improved the less i think i know what i'm doing <laughs> and the more i pay attention you know to the vines and well, and, and, what and there's something yeah and there's something that makes a lot of sense about that because really we aren't in charge you know like we aren't we're just human beings on this planet on a rock spinning around in the cosmos and this notion that we somehow are in charge is sort of the great lie, you know, right. that, that, that leads to all the suffering that we talked about in the opening of the conversation. Yes. And so it, it makes sense that it probably feels pretty good and rather natural to sort of be in the appropriate position in the chain. Right. Um, right. Right. You know, oh, well, I love the... yeah? go ahead. Go ahead. I was no, just saying ahead, the appropriate position in the chain, sort of acting where you are, um, you know, the grapes have been, have, have ripened, they're picked, you're doing what you can, and you're just gonna kind of pass the energy along um, and give it what you can give it. Um, it's just, it's, yeah. it's a more natural way to operate. Yeah, it is. And it's, I, I mean, you know, being here in Southern California, that, that idea, uh, the analogy of surfing is, a, I think, a good one, an appropriate one where, you know, you, you as, a, as a surfer, you learn to read the ocean, you learn to you learn a different language, which is like this language of waves, and you become a better surfer, the more you learn to go with the flow, and respond rather than I mean, you can't control the ocean, you know, you can't control it. It's, you know, you're, you're floating on it. It's, it's your whole ride. And then you get these moments of joy when you finally have that synergy and and you know catch it at the right moment kind of thing and i think that's i don't know i it's you know i'm not like a big surfer or anything but i think it's a great analogy for the that shift in thinking as well well and just come sort on of, i gotta give a plug for surfing and so of course of course and also just any you know all different examples of of when we are just sort of put in awe of nature and its power um whether it's surfing or kind of climbing a mountain or you know so these with these wonders um really yeah. remind us of how or remind us of our sort of insignificant place in the world but also could be a great source of inspiration and um you know sort of consciousness you know so that we can take conscious action rather than you know just doing what we think we have to do to you know meet these certain standards that we've invented yeah um, another analogy that i think applies really well is is that of learning a language you know where it's mm -hmm. it's you know it, it it's this i mean i always say like you know if you, you get those quizzes where it's like what would be your superpower if you could be a, you know if you were going to be a superhero what would your superpower be <laughs> and like really from the first time i heard that i was like the superpower that i've always wanted was the ability to speak every language wherever i went and just huh. be fluent in it and yeah. because like the world would open up to you and the yeah. you know and and in a sense, like, you know, I was just thinking about these human cultures, but it's like, if you could speak the language of, of plants, if you could speak all these sort of subtle languages that are more figurative, that would be an incredible thing. And I think that's, you know, I think learning that language, it's like, how do you know when you're fluent in something? Like, what, what is that threshold? How long does that take? How many hours to be, to be gain, to gain fluency? And I guess like, you know, I'm still in the process of that with, with vines <laughs> and the, the, that natural world for sure. Well, one thing that's really enchanted me about wine um, is 
the how it can help as a facilitator for communication and connection, even despite mm. language barriers. Um, you know, when you you can travel to a foreign place and if there's wine on the table, everyone is connected and kind of communicating in a way, even without language. And I think that's something about it that has that, you know, that has part of what makes it so unique and something that has been so special and sacred over like thousands of years is is this connective power that it has and um, how it can transmit, you know, through communion and through, um, you know, through sharing, it can transmit this kind of human, you know, the sort of universal feeling of human connection. And um, it's not just any beverage. <laughs> yeah. No, I think, I mean, wine, I always, th I mean, I love anthropomorphizing vines, um, grapevines, because I, I like to, this, I like the story that, they are the really the reason that I'm into wine and making wine at all because I think they dangle these lures out there like fishermen, you know. <laughs> They're like, and and you come upon them for by fate and by chance, and you you swallow them, and you're you groan with pleasure, and you have no idea why this like magical experience is happening. And if you're the right person, you it just blows open you know, these, this, your curiosity and you start rabbit holing and end up suddenly starting a podcast and, and a winery. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I want to, yeah, yeah, yeah. years later, you know, or 20 years <laughs> so, down the road. Yeah. So true. I mean, so like bring it back to earth a little bit. So how are you doing this? So I know some people, you know, Growing grapes and having a permaculture garden in South South Los Angeles is not something that everyone is doing. <laughs> so what, what you have is very unique. And I'm just curious, and perhaps others who are listening might be curious, like, what exactly are you doing there? Like, how are you um, creating this place um, in where yeah, uh, that's called Centralis? Yeah, I mean, that. I guess, I, I mean, with, with our, our yard, with, yeah, with what we call Crenshaw Crew, which is our convert, you know, our lot that, we, you know, it was grass with, uh, like, there's one orange tree that we've kept and the rest of it is all new plantings of things, <laughs> many, many things. And, you know, we've, we've basically converted it into what we call a, a, a perennial wine garden, a polyculture you know, it's polyculture, it's permaculture, it's, you know, all these things. It's these essentially, you know, like I said, starting with a, a forest ecosystem and trying to reimagine, you know, trying to enhance that and develop it in a way that, you know, it make, makes it a little more abundant. It makes it a little more fruitful that in the way that human, human desirable fruit kind of thing. Um, and I mean, but really, I think it started with just wanting to grow our own stuff that we could cook with because I love cooking and I wanted the, you know, I mean, anytime you get into whether it's wine or cooking or whatever, I mean, there, you know that it's the ingredients that makes the difference. It's like having a fresh, well, you know, deliciously ripe thing is the dish. Like, I mean, you, you know, like you look at Alice Waters cooking, it's just like, you serve a peach if it's if it, if if it's grown well and it's perfectly ripe like mm -hmm. like the natural natural food is just it it's his own delicacy it's incredible and and then if you just bring your own you know human skill to bear your gifts as a human to bear on on these things like so that's what I really wanted to do and it wanted to have these incredible ingredients to use in my life because I'm, you know, kind of a hedonist chef, uh, <laughs> winemaker lover. 
and it will just the more more pleasure like you know the better <laughs> better you grow it the more delicious it is uh -huh. um and because it's only like a small la lot it was about packing as much into that as possible while still allowing you know enough light for everything to grow well and then thinking of all at the same time about how these things can benefit benefit each other and how to plant things that are water wise that are actually adapted to this climate and that also sort of function in the does the layout of our yard so that we could have you know things like uh, evergreen things in the front yard so that it would look good so we wouldn't have these sort of like half the year to sort of you know empty trees because all the leaves had fallen off um that we would always have like a nice curb appeal in the front so it's a weird thing to think about but when you live in a city it's something you know i think it's a consideration out of just uh being considered with your neighbors and the look of your neighborhood you know you want something that looks mm -hmm. beautiful and lovely um as much as possible i mean our yard is definitely a little messier than probably some of our neighbors would like but um and then things like planting big shady trees on the southwest corner of the the yard so that you have this sort of passive solar where in the summer you get this nice shade and then the leaves fall and in the winter you get the warmth from the sun because the leaves have fallen and and um and just creating like micro climates within your tiny little thing and so now that you know 10 years after the majority of these planning started you know we have this kind of like becoming mature food forest wine garden i call it you know wine forest is probably a better way to call it um but it's too small for a forest maybe so wine garden um and i'm realizing like all of these things could actually apply at scale potentially like i just sort mm -hmm. of realized you know this sh like we're now in this situation where in california i mean in wine in general historically we've always wanted to expose wine you know vines to as much sunlight as possible because you need that to ripen the grapes and you know traditionally the riper the grapes the better because you know so much of that tradition comes from europe which is so much further north than us but here in california for a long time now sun enough sun hasn't been the issue and in fact you know i now think we're at a time where we're investigating a lot of ways to increase shade well mm -hmm. and that that's how we're going to uh, maintain quality and enhance quality is by increasing the shade and so i you know i'm just realizing how important trees are to vines i mean they evolve together they're symbiotic creatures they like this is that is the way that vines have traditionally in a forest ecosystem found the way to get up to the sunlight that they need to to create their food and to feed their microbes is to climb on a tree and they don't hurt a tree like they don't constrict trees it's truly symbiotic you know and down in the soil they're just feeding each other and cooperating and up in the in then the vine is using and has learned to grow a little quicker than trees so it can climb up to the top of the tree as the tree is growing and stay up there in the canopy of the tree to get the sunlight so it doesn't get out competed by these big canopy trees um and so the more that we can incorporate them into vineyards i think the better and now we have this great opportunity where i, I mean I, I don't think you have to like I'm really excited about at some point and I'm trying to become an expert in growing vines in trees mm -hmm. um, and how to make that work in a vineyard system. You know, how to like, how do you net for birds if your tree, your vines are growing in trees or how do you harvest, you know, easily and like at, at scale, if you have vine trained trees, like how do you do that? But I think there's ways just like, it, like with Crenshaw crew to build these little plots that have trees, which are now South side, 
trees are mature enough that they're starting to provide shade during the hottest part of the day for these vines. And it's actually perfect. And you could replicate that in vineyards. If especially if you're instigating a new vineyard, you could build build it in little plots where there are, you know, south side tree rows that provide shade. Or you could just sort of break up the vineyard with trees that will eventually spread out and provide shade in the middle of the day. Um, and potentially have a double crop too because those trees could be fruiting trees you know they could be avocado they could be you know it could be lots of different things you know things that are uh, maybe in california pomegranate is better or fig or something like that where you know they they don't need much water but um yeah i'm just seeing all these potential things now that you know crenshaw crew has matured and we are planting we're still planting we're always planting <laughs> um and i think w- that's another thing that I've learned, you know, just like we've been talking about having, being able to make mistakes is like, you know, the look of our, our, our garden has changed repeatedly as I've learned, as I've like realized, oh, I planted this too close to that and I've had to cut down a tree, you know, it's like always had to cut down a tree, but you know, it's part of learning that, that learning process when you, you're the one that planted it, maybe it's okay to cut it down as well, you know, um, yeah. Anyway, those those are some of the things that are happening. Yeah, so we have yeah. a ton of ton of vines. We make a small amount of of wine that becomes right now sparkling uh, rosé. Yeah, really beautiful. Um, as far as I know, the first commercial wine made in South Central um, that we call Crenshaw Crew. And we I also made a red from the vines as well. So we have yeah. Right now, vinifera. Honestly, I planted the backyard maybe three months before I my mind even changed again you know this is like i mean this is just a theme now of, of changing my mind and learning more and i would have planted a hybrid vine at, at or you know, or a native vine or something yeah something with native genetics would have gone in the backyard if i'd waited just a few more months um but but planted something with really drought tolerant rootstock narrow davila that is from the southernmost part it's the vinifera that's adapted to the southernmost part of europe so I think it's, you know, it'll do great here. We're, it's, so you have Neridavala growing in the backyard and is Syrah it Syrah in the front yard? In the front. Yeah, we have a little patch of Sangiovese, three vines. Um, and then we have some, what I call decorative Pinot Noir that has, <laughs> you know, we've been training it over a pergola. So, it, you know, it's another one of those, it provides lovely shade and a great place to taste wine, literally under grapevines um, and out in our back area. And then... We have, I've planted, I've thrown a bunch of seeds out. So there's a ton of vines just sprouting up from seed at the back that I'm sort of letting go wild. There's like a mission cutting from like the Lone Wolf Vineyard. Uh, you know, if you've heard of that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so that's planted and yeah, uh, <laughs> lots awesome. of different things. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see what happens. Cool. Yeah. That. And I know that you've talked about this a lot. I mean, this has become a, a big theme on the organic wine podcast. Um, and you and I have talked about this too, but also branching out beyond the grape when we think about wine, um, you know, and thinking Good about co-ferm- co-ferments yeah. and ciders. And I know that you've started to do that too in some of the wines that you're making, right? Thank you. Yeah. Well, I mean, and that's the other thing too, is like, I, I because I'm in this thing, I forget to, to say that, but you know, my, our, my understanding of a vineyard is not just rows of vines. You know, it is like it, it was, just, it's this dawning realization. Once you start understanding soil ecosystem, soil microbiology, and then how that expands your, it's weird. Like you go back to the soil and it expands your whole world and you, you realize 
okay, the vines are part of this bigger ecosystem and then trees contribute to that and everything contributes to that and, and it expands beyond, you know, just what the rows of vines are to include all the animals that participate, all the plants that participate, and then the humans, you know, like us humans make a huge difference on an ecosystem and we are part of that ecosystem and, and the the kind of impact that we make is in large part determined by our culture, the culture that we are growing out of. And so our culture becomes part of that ecosystem. Mm-hmm. Our, our, mm-hmm. And by tending our culture, we're literally tending our vineyard because, you know, the choices that we make of what to spray, of what kind of fertilizers we're using, of, you know, that idea, just the way that we think about viticulture is determined by this culture that we grew up in and examining that and thinking about how that can limit us or, or, be detrimental to the idea of viticulture is i think a really important thing and that's you know obviously a big part of the process that i've been involved with um with, through wine and through this podcast and so you know, i think that's really important to think about and so within our vineyard um, uh, and just within crenshaw crew we have all these other fruit trees and so <laughs> yeah like I, I just started looking around and being like i i think this is that ecological approach is like what is what what is happening already in nature around you and working with that rather than coming in and being like, I'm going to clear out nature and impose my ego on this soil and plant vines of this kind, you know, one of five French varieties. Yeah, <laughs> usually. right. Um, <laughs> and, and the flip of that is like, let's look at this landscape, see what is already happening there and see how we can build on that. You know, how, how can we just like enhance that? And so, you know, like, kind of repeating myself there but the way i approach that in an urban place where i live is there you know i look around the neighborhood i walk around the neighborhood and there's tons of fruit trees that have been here for decades and there a lot of that fruit is just rotting on the tree and so i started you know i'm starting small and just talking like so we have an apple tree so i started asking neighbors about who if anybody had any apple tree so I had, my neighbor across the street donated their apple tree this year another neighbor not too far south of here donated uh, her apple tree their apple tree and so we made a cider from just neighborhood apples and some crenshaw crew apples and then i threw in some pomegranates because i wanted it to excuse me i wanted it to be um you know, like a rosé cider that didn't quite work out, but it added something unique and kind of fun to it. So it's, mm-hmm. it's, and, and I think next year I'll, I'll probably get there. I'll just like wait a little bit longer, wait for the pomegranates to get a little bit or a few more of the pomegranates to get ripe before adding them. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's already in bottle sparkling delicious. And I, I, yeah, it's, it's, I like a beautiful cider from South Central. And then we are making like an orange cider similarly um, because there's just tons of citrus fruit around the neighborhood. So I'm experimenting with different recipes to make that palatable because, you know, the citric acid can be a real intense, almost bitter sort of sourness that isn't super pleasant once you ferment the sugar out. But now I'm finding like just aging on leaves for a while is actually turning mm-hmm. it into something yeah. kind of sublime and fascinating and and creamy and it's almost like an you know like a like a if you could cross a creamsicle and a mimosa kind of vibe yeah like yeah yeah yeah, totally yeah some fun stuff yeah stuff like that just trying to like and then of course you know we work with prickly pears and prickly pears are, are native to this land and i just happened to stumble upon this incredible 
uh, Orchard of Prickly Pears album, The Coast and Rancho Palos Verdes, um, which is uh, that it may, I may not be able to source from them ever again because it's becoming a, an ecological preserve, actually, which is wonderful. You know, I mean, it's sad if I don't get to get the prickly pears. I'm talking with the city about being able, being given permission to do that. But um, essentially, it's this historic farm. So, you know, all of Rancho Palos Verdes was farms that were leased by Japanese American families up to World War II, and then they were kicked off and sent to internment camps. And this one guy came back after World War II and and started leasing some land and started farming it and kept that lease basically up until the 2000s, his family, and and then transferred or sublet it to a, a Mexican guy named Martin, who I met. And the lease for Martin um, was just taken away from him in this year, this summer. So that place uh, has was this historic farm. They're, they're in process of making it a historic landmark the Hatano farm. Um, and Martin, uh, was the guy who gave me permission to harvest his, his prickly pears, um, which, you know, basically just growing, it's magical. It's a flower farm growing, you know, hundreds of feet up on cliffs over the ocean with views of like whales and Catalina Mm -hmm. and the, the ocean breeze is just cool all day. And it's they, you know, Martin planted those prickly pear, I mean, there's tons of native prickly pear around there as well. So it's actually like a really diverse prickly pear area. <laughs> Strangely, I mean, it's like this amazing, amazing, like ecological place because there's at least three different species of prickly pear growing all on this hillside and flowers. And, you know, it, it's just, it's kind of magical. Honestly, you're there and it's like, and the, the other thing is it's right out on the coast. So it can be like 90 degrees here at Crenshaw Crew, and then I take Crenshaw South, and it literally ends almost at the farm on Rancho Palos Verdes, and it's like 72 degrees because of the ocean breeze, and it's gorgeous, and I'm out there picking prickly pears. Um, and then in these like eight-foot-tall corridors that have been you know macheted out <laughs> to be able to just access them at all because they're now 20-year-old or plus prickly pears, the, the ones that Martin planted, and they're all different colors and every color is a different flavor. Um, the fruit that is, and yeah, that's been something really fun to just tell that story and, and blend those with some white grapes that are grown here and in Southern California as well and make, you know, some really fun stuff. Last year it turned into a sort of a yellow orange sort of bright colored thing that we have, we're almost sold out of. And now I have a barrel from this year that's like hot pink because I just pink picked the hmm. magenta ones mm-hmm. um, and blended with muscat and yeah it's it smells like guava and looks like I mean it's it's hot pink it's amazing wow so I'm excited by it yeah wow that's really cool yeah I, I've I've had your prickly pear wine and it's delicious and I love um, introducing it to people because I think it's really a great you know th- talking about thresholds you know it's a really great way to get this conversation going with people about appreciating wine and it's great diverse potential. Yeah. I mean, I just um, really, so I'm excited to try the pink one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I and part wait. of that was like, part of that was just like, I wanted, uh, you know, I wanted to showcase fruit. I mean, we're in this horrible drought. I mean, horrible. I mean, this long extreme drought that will probably get worse and, and our climate will probably change, you know, for our lifetime. I mean, we'll see it get hotter and drier and, mm-hmm. and with less water and, I, I I mean, frankly, it's there's a survival aspect of it too. It's like you know we need to learn to make wine from things besides besides something that needs to be irrigated to survive. Right. 
and, and appreciate them and people need and to appreciate learn. it yeah learn yeah, how to work a, with them learn what their strengths yeah. and weaknesses are like, like getting good at making something making wine with a fruit takes a while you know you have to right. learn what it's you know what it does and how it reacts and you know how it ages and things like that it's so you know i just wanted to start that process and start that story about hey here's a this thing is never sprayed it's never watered it's abundant it's delicious and here it is yeah um, i so, hope the city lets you continue i i'm confident keep pushing i think if, if yeah. you keep pushing that they'll let you farm it i mean i think that's really something that would be desirable i would hope would that would be that someone would tend the land yeah um, even, even even with within the cons within the con you know constraints that there may be for it being a nature preserve i still think there's a way i would hope for um that relationship to continue because it really sounds like an amazing place and an amazing resource and um you know so keep keep asking <laughs> yeah yeah definitely no I, i've offered them you know to like make a contribution for every bottle sold you know to use the, yeah. the wine as a way to tell the story totally. of their ecological preserve and that historic landmark which is what i want to do with it anyway which i think you know it's just like serves both of our purposes really i mean so that would be great yeah. that's a great idea i mean i know that those types of relationships exist with other nature preserves you know there's yeah other examples out there but um i yeah i'm, I'm optimistic i think I think that would be amazing if you could do yeah. that. I've still, I, and I would like to go there. I've actually never been to, because I believe you can actually go and there's like hikes and you can walk around that yeah. area. Yep. Yeah. It's called the Prickly yeah. Pear Trail. The Prickly Pear Trail. The Prickly <laughs> Pear Trail out in, in Palos Verdes. Yep. Yeah. It's right by City Hall. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. Yeah. Well, so such amazing stuff. Um, you know, you're here in LA and, um, how can people get in touch with you if they want to try your wines or learn more or or any of these things? Yeah. What's the best uh, way? Uh, we're on Instagram at Centralis Wine or at Organic Wide Podcast if you're interested in the podcast. Um, website is centraliswine.com and it's Centralis with, an, with two A's, C-E-N-T-R-A-L-A-S wine.com. Um, that's probably the best way. Everything and you're there. doing some and on there you know i know you have some events coming up in town um, yeah, a couple, yeah a couple right you have a couple yeah, coming up, totally um, yeah that's right including one with me which is going to be yes. super fun <laughs> <laughs> yeah talk about it. i was also going to open it up to you know final thoughts and remarks if you yeah want, had i mean i mean i think you know i probably reiterated this this mindset shift that I've undergone and, and how I'm trying to represent that in wine. Um, but I think this vision, I could probably try to convey this vision that I have for the future of wine, which is more and more people, more and more winemakers thinking about wine this way, where instead of like, I know, I know vinifera is wonderful and none, none, nothing I've said is meant to disparage vinifera. I love vinifera. It's what made me fall in love with wine. Um, what lured me to my destruction which is why we, i have a vinifera wine <laughs> called siren that i'm selling um <laughs> but it but you know france and italy and germany and spain do it really well and have for a long time <laughs> and i think we have our own indigenous wine culture here that is just at the beginning we haven't mm -hmm. we haven't even explored what it could be to any real deep degree i mean we've you know, I, I, I talk about 
breeding grapes. I think like every viticulture, everybody who's into wine should learn to breed grapes. I know it sounds like a, a big deal, but it's actually much easier than you'd think. And start crossing our indigenous grapes with you know, whatever you like to get whatever results you think would be beneficial for where you are if you're into grapes, but also to keep in mind everything else, all the other ingredients. Because when I come to your town, I don't want to taste another French wine grown in your town. I want to taste what your town tastes like. I want to taste wine that can only come from where you are. And that's what I'm trying to do here. It's like if with if we all start doing that, I mean, what a diverse, beautiful colorful rainbow of experience you can have in the wine world if we all start thinking you know and and heading in that direction um rather than just people you know i, I mean I, I won't i won't give the alternative because i think we've been living in the alternative and everybody knows the alternative for the you know last 70 years and and i think like it's really a beautiful time for change and i think there it is happening already so I, i'm really excited to see what happened and hopefully be fortunate to be part of it to some degree yes i you're definitely part of it i think in la you're certainly leading the way in this um, movement and it's really exciting for me to you know learn from you and see everything that you're doing and taste the the the, the many inter- iterations of of what <laughs> comes from crenshaw crew and centralis along the way so yeah um great well on that note adam thank you very much and um i hope you have a wonderful weekend thanks kiara appreciate it thank you The sponsor for this episode is, surprise, surprise, Centralis. A couple things that you didn't learn about Centralis from this episode is that we list every ingredient we use on the labels of our bottles, and we don't list any grape or fruit varieties on our labels, like Petite Pearl or Kingston Black. We list every ingredient on the label of every bottle of wine, including what we use for tirage or dosage, because... We believe in transparency, and we want to eliminate natural washing. We don't list grape varieties for many reasons, grape or other fruit varieties, because nature doesn't have a favorite variety of grape, for example. It grows many, many varieties of grapes and selects the ones that are best adapted to where they grow at that time in history. When times change, nature selects new grapes that thrive in new conditions. We want to emulate nature and think that ending our varietal obsession is a step in that direction to learn more buy our wines join our wine club or join our email list please visit centraliswine.com that's c-e-n-t-r-a-l-a-s wine.com thank you so much for your support